the life he lived before meeting Christ. Um, but despite his past, he met Christ and he was changed forever. And he considered it a great honor to be a part of that process. And then was trying to bring this whole church into the, into the picture, saying it's all of our job to display this power and this grace, this mercy, this holiness of God to the world so that they can understand and then they can believe. That's really at the heart of what we're talking about today when we talk about baptism. Now, we referenced baptism, talked a little bit about it a few weeks ago. If you were at our membership dinner two weeks ago, we talked a little bit more about baptism. And I want to talk a little bit more about it today. That's our number one topic today. So we can really spend some extra time focusing in on what is baptism, why do we do it, how do we do it, when do we do it, what's it for, why do we take it so seriously, uh, and, and, and answer some of those questions. And so we're going to dive in and talk about baptism a little bit today. And I have a couple thoughts that I'm going to share with you, and then we're going to read some scripture that support that, and we'll dialogue as we go along today. And so as we're talking about baptism, um, here's the first point and note that I want to make to you this morning, and that is that baptism is an ordinance of Christ. Now that's a big word, and if you're not particularly familiar with the church world, it can be somewhat of a confusing term. Here's what we say when we say ordinance. We're talking about a practice that was initiated and commanded by Christ himself. So we believe that there are two ordinances for the church or Christians to participate in. One is baptism and one is the Lord's Supper. Or depending on what tradition you come from, you might have called called it the Eucharist or you might have called it communion. But those are the two ordinances that Christ initiated and commanded for us to be a part of as individuals and as a church. So it's a big word, but you're going you're gonna to read it, you're going to hear it. That's kind of a common term that's thrown around in the church world, and so I'd rather you know what it means than just to find another way to say it. So baptism is ordinance of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, and all the rest of the scriptures today are going to be on the screen, or you're more than welcome to turn there uh, in the Bible if you would like. And it says this, <clears throat> excuse me, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, excuse me, uh, I haven't had enough coffee this morning, obviously. Now, we read this particular verse and spent some time talking about it two weeks ago, and, and quite a bit of time. And so I don't want to spend as much time this morning um, talking about it, but I want to point out that in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has already died, He has already been buried, and He has already risen again. And He has now spent about 40 days with His closest friends and disciples, teaching them and preparing them to carry on His mission as He's going to go back to heaven. And so he's equipping these people, these men and women, to carry on his mission in building his church and sharing the news about who he is and what he has done. And so these are some of his final instructions. Literally, right after he's done saying these things, he's going to ascend to heaven. And so his final charge for these group of individuals who are going to carry the torch, he gives them this command. And as we talked about two weeks ago, Although it can be confusing, there's only one big command. There's only really one command in this sentence, and that's make disciples. Um, When you look at just the grammar of the text, there's actually only one command, and that's make disciples. So what Jesus is really saying, as we talked about two weeks ago, 
as you are going about your life, as you are in the process of living life, going to work, going to school, um, mowing your grass, talking to your neighbors, going to Starbucks, as you're doing life, as you're going, make disciples. And then he tells us and qualifies that. What does that mean? How does that work? And there were two big things that he leaves us with as individuals and as the church to baptize and to teach. And so Jesus took baptism very seriously. In his final few words, um, as of all the things he could have said, hey, as I leave, here's what I need you to go do. Here's your mission as you go out and carry on the torch. Think about all the things he could have said. Like, make sure to pray an hour every day. Um, make sure to do this, that. Make sure to keep up your church attendance. I mean, he could have come up with a number of lists of things that this is what you should be doing and focusing on. But he chose two that kind of carry us forward as a church. Baptizing and teaching. And as we talked about two weeks ago, our life and this church is built off the truths of Scripture. So everything we do, everything we say, think, sing, and pray is going to be built off the truth of Scripture and that's how we're going to grow. And certainly, the Bible teaches us to do a lot of things. But all of those actions have to be founded on truth. And so, teaching is a huge portion of what we do as a church. And baptizing uh, is another huge element. And we're going to talk, as we go on today, more about baptism and how that works. Um, and, and then we'll kind of wrap it up and summarize everything today. So, number one, the reason why baptism is so important why we're going to teach on it, why we're going to practice it. And if you were there two weeks ago, why we require it before membership is because Jesus made it a big deal. Um, Because not only, and we're not even going to read it today, but not only did Jesus model baptism himself, but in his final few words before ascending to heaven, uh, he leaves us with this commandment for us to carry on. Number two uh, is this idea. Baptism expresses union with Christ. Baptism expresses union with Christ. We're going to see that in Romans chapter 6, starting in verses 3 through 5. Dustin, if you can go there for me. Um, Starting in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness, of life, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you see this connection that Paul's painting for us between our lives and baptism and how that represents Christ and who he is, what he has done, and the change that's come in our life. And so we believe several things about baptism. We're going to talk about one of these points in a little bit, but baptism is supposed to represent this death. And it's supposed to represent this burial. And it's supposed to represent this resurrection. So you see these three huge components of the life and ministry of Christ that have also taken place in the Christian's life. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism is supposed to symbolize. And so, just like Paul said in Ephesians, that it's our job as the church to display God's glory, to display His holiness and His power uh, to the rest of the world. One of the ways we do that is through baptism. 
Because baptism is a testimony of what's taken place in our life. Baptism is a testimony about what we believe about who Christ is and what He's done for us. The death, burial, and resurrection. Those are the three huge components that are to be tied into baptism for our life. That um, Baptism brings about union uh, or represents, excuse me, expresses union with Christ. And so um, some may be tempted... Um, to place a little bit of extra weight on what baptism does from this verse. Um, Some people may read verse 3 and say, okay, so if we're going to be baptized, or if we're going to enter into His death, if we're going to be in union with Christ in His death, meaning the death to ourselves, then doesn't baptism have to come? So verse 3 makes it sound like in order to be united with Christ, we have to be baptized. Almost as though baptism isn't, I mean, union with Christ isn't possible outside of baptism. If, if we're not careful, that's how we can begin to read this. But here's what we have to understand. Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians who live in Rome at the time. And so what we have to be careful is not ever to take one, two, three, four verses and just pull them out of Romans without seeing how they fit into the big picture. And what we see from the entire letter Um, to the Romans, what we see throughout all of Paul's writings, what we see throughout all of the New Testament and all of the Bible is that union with God does not come through a religious act. Union with God always comes through faith. Always. Faith is always what unites us to Christ. Just a little bit earlier in the letter, here's what Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by Faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so, um, it wasn't until about the 1500s that the chapters were added to the Bible, as far as the chapter designations. It wasn't until almost the 1700s that the verses were added. And the reason they were added is for the same reason why you and I have an address on our homes. If I tell you, hey, I want to invite you over to lunch today, and I give you my address, you can find my house. If none of us have addresses, then we just have to go about descriptions, right? So you take a left at the big pine tree, and then when you pass the, the pond on the right, um, go another quarter mile, and then you'll turn right. We would have to use landmarks. So the reason the chapters and verses were added um, were to help us find our place in the Bible easier. And, and we're all very thankful for it. But sometimes the chapters and the verses almost lead us to this place where we think we can divide it up. But you've got to remember, Romans was a letter written in its entirety. And so this is chapter 5 is what we call it, but really we're just going, hey, it's about two paragraphs before what we read in chapter 6. And so Paul has built this case that we are united to God by faith. Faith is what gives us access through Jesus to our Creator. Faith is how union is possible. And we could go to a hundred different places in the Bible and read that over and over and over again. But hopefully this one example will be sufficient. So, if Dustin, if you'll jump back to, to chapter 6 for me. Um, so, he's just made the case that we're united by faith. Now he's going to talk about the expression of this union. And so, what we understand is that baptism represents 
what has taken place in our lives. It represents what takes place in the act of baptism for us. And that being, it symbolizes the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And also the death and the burial and the resurrection that we experience personally. That we die to our old selves. That we're buried, we're put away, and then that we're raised to new life. As he says in verse 4, that we too might walk in newness of life. Paul says in another part of the Bible that for those who are in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. We have have put off the old and we've been born into the new. And so baptism represents that for us. Um, So baptism is an ordinance of Christ, meaning he initiated and commanded it. Baptism expresses union with Christ. And number three, baptism is immersion in water. And this is maybe something that would distinguish us from some other churches um, in their thoughts and teaching on baptism. And so here's, here's the reason we do this. Um, number one is, um, when we talk about immersion in, in water, if you've never witnessed a baptism, um, and so uh, if, if someone was getting baptized today, we'd obviously be in a pool of water. Um, and so we would pronounce that, Because of your faith in Christ, today you're being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 28, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. Then we go under the water with the individual. And then depending on how sinful they are, how long we hold them under. No, just kidding. And then then we bring them back up. And that represents what Christ did. But it also represents what just happened in their life. They're dying to their old self as they've placed the lordship of their life in Christ's hands. They're dying and being buried. And now they're going to raise to new life to represent this new person that Christ has created them to be. And so immersion best represents that. There are some churches who will pour water on someone's head or sprinkle water on them. Um, And the reason we embrace immersion is because of what it represents. Because that's the best representation of what baptism is supposed to do. Number two, baptism is what we call a transliteration. Um, Meaning rather than translate the word, into English, we just took the old form of the word and created a new English word. So the Greek word for what we now call baptism is baptizo in Greek. So you can see we didn't, and it literally means to dunk or to dip. That's what it means. So had we translated the word in our Bible, it would have said, you should be dipped in Christ. But we transliterated it, meaning we created a new English word. So from the Greek baptizo, we've created a word called baptism. But the original Greek word means to dunk or to immerse or to dip. Um, And that's the idea that we get in Scripture. And then a couple other um, Scriptures for you. This is also, the reason we do this is because it's modeled in the Bible. Here's Acts chapter 8. And there's two men riding along in a chariot. One is a believer in Christ and one is not. But they're, they're having this spiritual conversation. And, and one man comes to believe and have faith in Christ while they're riding along in this chariot. And it says this in verse 37. Um, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so we get this picture in the Bible of of not sprinkling or pouring, but, but actually immersing in water. And then here's one more, John chapter 3. Um, it says this, John was also baptizing at Enon near Salim, 
because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. And so if, if you were to think of, of any other mode of baptism, it, it doesn't jive with what we see in the Scriptures because the whole reason John's baptizing at this particular place in the Jordan River is because there was a lot of water. And you only need a lot of water if you're actually going to go under as opposed to sprinkling or pouring. And so, so from, from Element Church's perspective, that's why we teach and encourage and embrace and practice baptism by full immersion as opposed to pouring or sprinkling because of what it represents, what the name originally, what the word originally meant, and the picture that we get over and over in the Bible of how baptism works. Here's my fourth point, and then we'll kind of summarize this all together. Um, Baptism is for believers only. And um, just talking to many of you over the last several months or maybe a year, depending on how long I've known you, I've, so, some of you come from a Catholic background. Some of you come from a Lutheran background or, or a Presbyterian background um, where maybe as a child or an infant or maybe even as an adult, you were sprinkled um, or poured over. And so there's some differences there. And then maybe some of you um, experience baptism at a very young age, maybe as a, as a very newborn infant or early in childhood that with your parents or your grandparents you were taken to church and they sprinkled or poured water over you as, a, as an infant. Um, at Element Church, we, bela- we embrace um, what's called um, believer's baptism. All right, believer's baptism. And we believe that baptism is reserved only for those who have expressed faith in Christ. And here's a couple reasons why. Galatians chapter 3. So again, this is another letter written by Paul. Um, Galatia actually isn't a city, it's a region. And so he wrote this letter not to one particular church like we get in some of his other letters. This was a letter that was designed to be spread. So he would send it to one church, they'd read it in their church service, and they'd pass on the letter to another church. And so he does a lot of great teaching in Galatians. Um, starting in verse 23 of chapter 3. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So before I go any farther, let me explain what he's talking about. So there was a common practice at this time that those who were wealthy owned slaves or or um, Given what we often think of slaves, it's probably more appropriate to say servants. And those that were more wealthy actually had servants, and it was that servant's job, um, and, and they were considered a guardian. It was their job to raise the little children. The parents didn't do it. Um, they, they abdicated that role to the servants who were in charge of, of caring for the children, looking after them when they were sick, making sure they got educated. Most of the time, these guardians um, were actually the teachers and tutors. And so a lot of times slavery in, in ancient Rome was so much different than what we think of in the United States. Um, of course, slavery is always evil and wrong. But it was just different in Roman society. Slaves were allowed to be educated. They were allowed to work outside of their position with their master. Slaves could own their own business. It was very common for slaves to be very wealthy. And sometimes they would choose not to buy their own freedom um, because they would rather just make money off their side business and then you know, the master had to provide their housing and food. And so, um, so, so it's different, but they would have these guardians. It was their job to raise the children up um, as, they were, as they were growing up. And so, um, so he's in comparing the old religious law to a guardian. 
and saying that, that when we were immature, um, the law was, was like a guardian to us. It, it was almost as though we were captivated to it. It ruled over us. Even though we were a son to the master, this idea of master being God, even though we were a son, even though that, that we were an heir to the throne, you could say, it was, was kind of like we were still subject to this law, to this guardian, um, until Christ came. So we used to be slaved to this law. This, this, this guardian ruled over us. But now Christ has come in order that we might be justified by faith. There's that theme again. Verse 25, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so here we get this idea again. That baptism represents what Christ has done for us, but it's through faith that we find union with Christ, that we're justified. That's a legal term, meaning we're made right before God. And so it's faith, through faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. And so we believe baptism comes after faith. Um, Here's another one, Acts chapter 19. Um, This is an interesting one, and I... I think this probably illustrates the point better than any of them. Starting in verse 1, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so that's a man who was at Corinth, a city, an ancient city, Paul, here's Paul again, passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So that's the city we were reading out of the letter to the Ephesians earlier. So that's the city where that church was based. Then he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, And John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul interacts with some, some people. Um, and and he, so he asks them about their, the, the Holy Spirit. He's going, Wait. Uh, is there evidence in your life that you've been changed? The Bible talks about that when we place our faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, as like a deposit on our lives, guaranteeing that we're going to inherit, um, we'll, we'll be co-heirs with Christ, that we're going to heaven when we die, that the Holy Spirit's given to us to empower us to grow in maturity. And, he, and he's like, so you have the Holy Spirit, like you're being changed, right? There's something inside of you that's, that's moving and speaking and challenging you and growing you, and you're, you're growing towards maturity. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. And so Paul's like, well, then what were you baptized into? And they said, John's baptism. And here they're referring to John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus, and a guy who plays a very important role in the Bible, a guy, a man who God put a very special call in his life to prepare the world for Jesus. And so John had a ministry of teaching people to prepare their hearts, to repent from their sins, to get baptized as a preparation for Christ. But when Christ came, everything was redefined. That now we no longer are placing our faith that one day Christ will come, but that Christ is here And so they were like, well, we don't know what you're talking about. We were just told to get baptized in preparation. And so Paul says, well, 
yeah, John was preaching repentance to get ready for the one who is to come. Um, and so on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So right here and there, Paul teaches them about who Jesus is. At this point, they don't even know who Jesus is. They just know that they should be ready for someone. They should be getting ready. And Paul teaches them, okay, now we're no longer waiting because he's come. Now, now everything you've been preparing for is here. Now what, what, what you've known as a shadow, you can see in its full reality. And then they were baptized again into the name of Jesus. And so we believe that baptism was designed for believers. Um, not to represent what we might hope happens in someone's life down the road, but what has already taken place in, the, in our life. And so this almost represents and models infant baptism that some churches may practice today. That, that some individuals are baptized, but before they know about Jesus, before they believe in Jesus. Um, we can all understand that infants are, are not at a place cognitively where they can understand who Jesus is, believe in Him, and then express and confess that belief. And so once these individuals came to know and understand who Jesus was, Paul was like, now it's time to, to go through the Christian baptism now that we know who jesus is and so as a part of our church we number one we don't baptize infants or small children Um, we only baptize those who have expressed faith in christ Um, the reality is baptism of infants um, is is a pretty beautiful thing i think it's a beautiful picture Um, and we in no way want to diminish the importance or the specialty of, of an infant baptism. Maybe you were baptized as an infant or maybe you have a, a child who was baptized as an infant. We don't want to take away from the beauty of that moment. But here's, here's what we can all probably readily admit. that the, Baptizing an infant is not really for the infant. It's for the parents. It's, it's their opportunity to consecrate their child to God. To say, God, I'm going to raise this, this um, boy or this girl in truth and in love to to love and to serve and to believe in you. It's kind of a confession of, God, this is what I'm going to do as a parent for this child. And so at Element Church, we love that idea, and so we do something called baby dedications, which is the same symbolism minus the baptism, that if you have a child that um, is new, or maybe you've just never dedicated your children, um, that we'll bring you before the church, we'll, we'll let you show off your kid, and we'll put some cute pictures up, and you know, do all the things parents love to do. Because your kid is the cutest one that's ever lived. We all know that. Um, just kidding, mine is. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. So we'll bring him up. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> that's what I get for saying my kids were the cutest. <coughs> so we'll bring them up and uh, introduce them. All right. <coughs> Good night. All right, I'm just going to keep going. So we'll bring them up, introduce them, we'll pray over them, and we'll allow you to make a confession and a commitment to raise your children in a Christian home, to love and to serve the Lord. And so we would love to to be a part of that with your family. If you have kids that you would like to, to dedicate, the reason we don't add baptism to that opportunity, to that moment, is we don't ever want to lead anyone astray. We don't ever want, ever want a kid to get to age 10, 11, 12, 16, 18, or 40, or 60, and think, 
well, I was baptized as a baby, so I'm good. I can't tell you how many adults that I've interacted with in my years in ministry that there was no real belief, no heart change, no life change, no confession, but they were baptized as a baby. So they thought, you know, me and God are good. You know, I got, you know, we're good. I got sprinkled on, so I can now do whatever I want, live however I want. I'm good. And, and we don't want to leave that impression with people. So that's why we don't do baptism for infants. We would rather wait till they're ready to make that belief and confession. And every child is at a different place. Some, that comes very early, maybe four, five, or six. They don't, obviously they can't, you know, expound on the deep theological truths of Scripture, but they can go, hey, I know Jesus loves me. I know He died on the cross for me. And I know that I'm not perfect, and I need God to forgive me. And, and so they can understand some basic elementary truths. And when a child is ready and they believe it, and they understand it, and they can express it with their, with their mouth, then they're ready to be baptized. Um, and that comes at a lot of different ages for different kids. Um, but we're going to hold off baptism until they're at that place where they, they can articulate it, but they genuinely believe it. And that's a process that we work with parents on, on when their kids are ready. And so for those who have been baptized as an infant, again, we don't want to take away from that moment that was special for you and your parents or your grandparents. Um, but we want to challenge you to embrace the baptism that's taught in Scripture. So that even if you were baptized in a, as an infant, that now you're going to make your own decision to get baptized as a representation of who Christ is, what He's done, and what He's done in your life. That there's been a death and a burial of your old self and that you've been raised to new life by faith in Christ. And so we're going to challenge you that if you were baptized as an infant, that, that, that you now do that as an adult. We're going to challenge you. Maybe you got baptized in another manner at a different time, but there was no faith. You did it because your grandparents pressured you into it. You did it because you were at some kind of youth camp or youth retreat and everybody else was doing it. And you, you kind of got wrapped up in the moment and you weren't at a place where you believed in Christ or trusted Him. Um, you just did it. And so it, it didn't come after faith. It came before. And so just like this story, we would say once you come to faith, then it's time to get baptized because now it really does represent something that's taken place in your life. And so because the Bible holds baptism to such a high standard, that it's, so, it's really the very first thing a believer is supposed to do. That's like your number one first step of being a new Christian is get baptized. And so because it's primary and because the Bible teaches it so, um, so much, because Christ thought it was so important that it made like the, the last three or four sentences before he went back to heaven... Because of the picture that it represents. Because as we read at the very beginning, that it's our job as a church to display God's glory and holiness, which is done in baptism, that, that we're going to hold it to a high standard too. And so in order to be a member of Element Church, um, that you have to have been baptized after coming to faith in Christ. Um, it doesn't have to be at this church, um, but it, it has to have happened. Or maybe you haven't done it yet, then... As a part of your commitment to joining the church, then you also make the commitment that I'm going to get it done, and then we'll, we'll work with you on, on making that scheduled. Um, but because the Bible holds such a high standard for it, we do too. Because it's important about what it teaches and what it represents. It's, a, it's an important message for your family to hear, for your children to see. Or maybe they watch the video of it later down the road. Or maybe you have parents who, who are Lutheran and you were baptized as a baby, 
And they're going to want to know, well, what, the baptism we gave you wasn't good enough? And that's an opportunity for you to say, oh, it's a beautiful thing, but let me tell you what it means for me now. Let me tell you what it represents for me now. There's no better way for you to go, I'm going to take that task that Paul talked about, I'm going to display God's glory and His holiness by an opportunity to share with others, this is why I'm getting baptized, this is what it represents, this is what it means for me. There's no more beautiful picture, I think, than, than that act of baptism that it has in our lives. And so because the Bible holds it to such a high standard, um, we do as well. So let me pray for us as we conclude this morning. Lord, thank you for um, our time to speak truth, to read and understand truth. And, and God, I pray that, um, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, uh, in our minds. And I think there's probably a number of different people in here. I think some uh, have already expressed faith in you and they've already been baptized. Um, Lord, I, I pray that they would examine other parts of their lives are there other aspects of their lives that need to do a better job of reflecting your glory and your holiness to, to put you on display at work or put you on display in, in, in their social activities? I think there's some here that um, maybe were baptized before coming to faith in, in you, and I, I pray that you would um, and give them the courage to, to desire baptism, not just do it because they're supposed to or because we said to, but that it would become a desire that for all of us, whether it's baptism or something else, we would desire the opportunity to, to represent who you are and what you've done in our lives. Um, Lord, there may be some in here who, uh, regardless of whether they've ever been baptized, they've never placed their faith and their trust in you. And I pray that today would be that catalyst moment, that they would understand who you are and what you've done for them, that they would embrace you by faith, that they would trust you to be the Lord and the master of their lives. So Lord, would you do something special in each of our hearts and our minds and our lives this morning uh, as we continue to worship you and do our best as a church to display your love and your glory and your holiness. Lord, we love you and pray these things in your name.